You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, in our last lecture, we began to talk about Isaiah chapter 54, but we only hit the tip of the iceberg. Therefore, we've got a lot to talk about today, so let's go ahead and get started. Now, picking up at verse 1, verse 1 itself is kind of a focal verse for the entire chapter. Verse 1 reads, Sing, O barren one, who did not bear, Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says Yahweh. Now, to begin with, the understanding of singing is the understanding of rejoicing, proclaiming the name of God, what he has done. For instance, going back to Isaiah chapter 52, at verse 9 it said, Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For Yahweh has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Now notice that the focus is on what God has done. That's the place where we're to rejoice in God's grace, in God's activity, in God's action, that God brings comfort to his afflicted people, that God has brought comfort by redeeming his people. Well, that's precisely what God is doing in Isaiah chapter 53. Yahweh has redeemed his people through the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross that he's the one who has borne our griefs, that he's the one who has carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and by his wounds we are healed. It is in the work of Christ that we rejoice. It is in the work of Christ that we are redeemed that we would begin to sing. Now, this is what we had said before, that as Christ was rejected by the world, the church should be expected to be rejected by the world. For as the world hated him, the world will hate us. As he suffered and died, well, the kingdom comes through suffering and death. But even in the midst of suffering and death, we can sing rejoicing in what God is doing. That our soul magnifies the Lord. Our spirit rejoices in God, our Savior, while our outer body wastes away. Where we experience affliction, pain, sorrow, sadness, and suffering. Yet, inside, we can rejoice. The inner man is rejoicing in what God is doing that God is bringing about a new creation. And he brings new life. And where there is new life, there is always going to be pain. 
the labor pains of new life. But yet the barren one is the one who's going to be singing. At the moment, the barren one doesn't seem to be the one who's even pregnant. doesn't even seem that the labor pains have come yet. However, God assures her that she's the one who will rejoice with new life. In fact, when Martin Luther, the blessed reformer, would lecture on Isaiah and talk about passages just like this, he would remind us that there's a constant theme throughout the history of the world. The church is always a remnant, always a small minority, always afflicted, always suffering, always being rejected by the world. In fact, Luther would assure us, just like in the days of Isaiah, just like in Luther's days, and even in our own days, when the church is shrinking, when it seems like all the other religions or world activities are growing, it is in this time that we hear the word of comfort. That when the world is attacking the church, and the church is being rejected by the world, we are to turn to God, not to the ways of the world. When the church is shrinking, we don't think to ourselves, what can we do to stop the church from shrinking? Or what can we do to bring new life and new growth to the church? Instead, it is in these very days that God gives the afflicted, shrinking church his comfort. The one that is barren, the one that seems to give no birth at all, the one who doesn't seem to see any new children of God, new converts to the Christian faith, that it may not ever come in this life. But the barren one is to rejoice that in the future, in God's timing, it may be a generation or two, before the birth, before the growth and the increase ever even seen. Our task is not to see what we can do to bring about new life, new growth, and new, and new numbers of membership rosters growing in anticipation of what we have done or what we've decided that we can do. Instead, it is the Lord who provides the growth. We are the ones who sow the seed, and the Lord provides the growth. We're not the ones who make the church grow. Instead, it is God who makes the church grow. So when the church seems barren and it seems like there is no one, it's shrinking, maybe even churches are closing, yet the barren one who did not bear is to break forth into singing and cry aloud. Now understand this. In the days of Isaiah, they're not even seeing the coming kingdom of God in the flesh. In the incarnation, they are anticipating God's work and what God will do to bring the growth. But notice again how this growth comes. This growth comes when God's church shrinks. It was all the people of Israel who rejected Jesus. Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He preached, he taught, he performed miracles before their eyes. They saw the signs. They saw the Lord. They saw the salvation that God had promised. Yet the vast majority did not receive him. You even see this in John's gospel where Jesus is teaching in John chapter 6. And we're told at that point, a large number of his disciples stopped following him. It was at that point where that small number, the small remnant, the shrinking church, was asked, are you going to go too? 
And that's where Peter stood up and said, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The responsibility of the church is to hear the word of God, to rejoice in the promises that are not seen. In fact, when the shepherd was struck down, when he was crushed, I mean, even think of the small number of his disciples who gathered around the cross. Peter himself even denied the Lord. It was only John as one of his twelve disciples who was there at the cross. It was just a few, just a handful. But yet, in the midst of that shrinking church, the one that does not seem like there will be any birth or any growth or any new life at all, the one who is barren, yet that one will sing and cry aloud. Now, even when the apostles in numbers began to grow in Jerusalem, again, notice that the majority of the people of Israel, that is, earthly Jerusalem, refused to listen, rejected the word of God, and resisted the work of the Holy Spirit. And so what was Paul constantly assuring the people of? That the church is the one who hears the voice of God. It's always the righteous remnant. And when I say righteous, I mean the believers, the ones who are justified, whose faith is counted as righteousness. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to them, and they are righteous in his sight with a borrowed righteousness, a righteousness that comes from Christ, the righteousness by faith. But it's the vast majority that did not receive him that rejected him. That's the ones who put him to death on the cross. But yet it is that small group, that group continues to to trust in the promises of God. So Paul will always go back to passages just like this. And in fact, we'll see that later on in the lecture, where Paul assures the shrinking church that right now you may look barren, but it's in the future. In the future when you will have many children. I mean, just think of how many believers there have been over the centuries, ever since the apostles went out from Jerusalem. The very fact that we are talking about this today is a result of being brought forth by the work of God. That that barren church at one time is now rejoicing, and now you see the birth. That the desolate one is the one who will eventually have more children than the married one. But in the times of adversity, in the times of affliction, in the times of trials and tribulations where the church is shrinking and doesn't seem to be growing by any of the latest techniques, man-made methods, or new outreach trends, God grows his church and he grows it in his time. But it is in the midst of these times of persecution, the times of shrinking, that we are to sing to God. We're to sing to him that new song, the song that we begin singing in Isaiah 42, where we set our eyes on Jesus, the one that the Father points us to, the one upon whom the Holy Spirit rests, that we sing that new song like in Psalm 98. Oh, sing to Yahweh a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Yahweh has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. 
and all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. As we've said many times in the past, how do we see the salvation of God? Well, through hearing. We have ears that see, ears that hear the gospel message, bringing to us the knowledge of salvation and the one who knows Christ, the one who has the knowledge of him, the righteous one, the servant of Yahweh, will be justified. That is, declared righteous, declared innocent in God's sight. Now again, notice in a Psalm 98, it is the arm of Yahweh, the holy arm that has done this. It is the hand of Yahweh, referencing the person and work of the Son, the only begotten Son, the one who is the second person of the Holy Trinity, the one who comes to act and to save. He is the one who manifests God's salvation. He is salvation incarnate in the flesh. Now, it's times when we are in dismal days. It's times when we are filled with sorrow and sadness that we look back at the great things that God has done. This is what brings us comfort, that the one who has promised and done things in the past is recorded in the scriptures. He's the same one who has promised and will do things in the future, things that we do not see right now. But it's in those things It's in God that we can rejoice. And thus, Isaiah opens up chapter 54 by saying, Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. Now, I want us to think about this image for a moment. The image of a woman who does not have children, a barren woman, a woman who has not been in labor. Now understand the idea of a family. Understand the idea of a city. The city has citizens. A family has children. But yet there's no one who is populating the city. There is no one who is dwelling in this household. There are no children. You've not been in labor. You are not having any children, you are barren. Now, this points to a miraculous birth. I want us to contemplate this and think about throughout the whole Old Testament. Remember with Abraham and Sarai? Remember the promise? The promise is they would have a child, yet they had none. They didn't have a child at all. But that promised child, Isaac, came to them. But yet remember the whole conflict and the whole struggle and the whole barrenness of Sarai. Of course, later on is called Sarah because she would be this mother of the promise. That there would be rejoicing. That there would be laughter. Or think about Rebecca when Isaac takes a wife. That she also is barren. She doesn't have a children. Or even think when Jacob takes a wife. Rachel, in the times when Rachel is barren, or even Manoah's wife, that she is barren and she has no child. She's not in labor, and she is not rejoicing in the fruit of her womb, because there is none. Or even Hannah. Think about how Hannah went to the temple and she had no children. She did not have the fruit of marriage. 
And she, of course, was in sorrow, in sadness, a barren one, one who was not rejoicing. Now, all of this points to a miraculous birth, a barren one, one who is not in labor, one who cannot give birth because the womb is closed. Yet it is God who brings about life. That this barren one here in Isaiah would have many children, that is, many offspring, many believers. Now, that was the promise that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. Remember, Abraham didn't have any children at all. He had no heir. He had no offspring. But yet here's the Lord promising to him that he's going to have a son, that he will have a seed. And in fact, the Lord says in Genesis 22, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have heard my voice. Now think about that. Abraham and Sarah, they don't have any children. But yet the Lord is saying they're going to have many children. Many children that they never see in this life. It is future upon future generations before this ever comes to fruition. Or again, think about Hannah's song. That the barren one has born seven Now, even think with me a minute about Hannah, and Hannah, of course, going to uh, the tabernacle to pray, and she sings. She rejoices in God, for she sings out loud, proclaiming and praying, My heart exalts in Yahweh. My strength is exalted in Yahweh. And she goes on to say, My mouth derides my enemies. Because I rejoice in your salvation. Later on, she continues and she goes on and she says this, that the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven. But she who has many is forlorn. Yahweh kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. Now notice a couple of things in there. She is exulting and rejoicing in her Savior, in Yahweh. That's where her voice is sounding. It's sounding out to God. Not in her experience. She is barren. She's not in labor. She desires children. She desires that the Lord would hear her prayer. But yet in the midst of her affliction, her pain, her sorrow, her grief, yet she can say that the barren has borne seven, while the flip side, she who has many children is forlorn. But notice how that's also tied to the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, that Yahweh is the one who brings to life. So Yahweh kills and he brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up again. Well, Moses in Deuteronomy 32 was saying that Yahweh is the one who kills and gives life. He wounds and he heals. But this is precisely what Yahweh is doing 
in the work at the cross. The Yahweh's salvation comes in the flesh. The Christ suffers for us, that all of our griefs, all of our sorrows are placed upon him. That he is killed, but he is brought to life. That he is brought down to Sheol, and he rises up again. So that where there was no life, now there is life. And this is what Isaiah 54 is discussing, is that the work of Christ on the cross where there's death brings life. Unless that seed is sown into the ground, there will not be this harvest, this plentiful fruit that will come from his work. Now also notice in the song of Hannah, how that is echoed in the song of Mary when she hears that she will be the mother of the Christ child. Again, notice all of these pictures in the Old Testament of women without children, of closed wombs, of wombs that cannot bear children apart from God. That God is the one who opens the womb. That God is the one who gives the gift of life. That God is the one who promises these barren women that they will bear children. And in particular, all of these miracles point toward the miracle of the virgin birth. It's Mary who then sings and rejoices. Mary who is barren. She has no children. Why? Because she's a virgin. It's not possible for her to have children. Yet she can rejoice in the words of promise. Again, those words in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel, which is God with us. Therefore, in response, Mary can sing out and shout out with great joy, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked at the humble estate of his servant. And behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. Again, notice a connection in Isaiah 53. Who's going to believe our message to whom the arm of Yahweh has been revealed? That is the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the one who comes to save us in his flesh. By doing what the law could not do, God sends his Son in the flesh in order to condemn sin in the flesh, so that God can justify us, God can pardon us of all of our sin, give to us forgiveness life and salvation. For this is the arm of Yahweh who has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And again, the imagination of the hearts is what idolatry is all about. That the false worship comes from a conscience that projects a false image of God. And all of that will be shattered. It will all be removed. God himself will be the only one who is true God. The only true image of God, of course, is Christ. That he's the one who has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things 
and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. You see, once again, we go back to that promise given to Abraham. Remember, Sarah was barren. They had no children, but yet God promised the seed. He promised that from the seed of Isaac, that there would be a multitude of children. Why? Because from the seed of Isaac will come forth Jacob, and from Jacob, Judah, and ultimately from Judah, David, and from David, Jesus. That Jesus is that promised seed, the promised son that would crush the serpent's head. That promise that goes all the way back to Eve, the first mother, the mother of all of the living. That is through her son, Jesus, that salvation will come. But yet understand that not only in the days of Abraham did they not see this salvation, even in the days of Adam, this didn't happen. It was in the days where it seemed like everything was going wrong in this perpetual now fall into sin. But yet God makes a promise that there will come a day when he will restore creation, that he once again will bless many nations Thus, the one who is barren will rejoice that in the future she will have many children, children that she would never even see in her own lifetime. Now, that seed will come from the lineage of Abraham. But yet, in Abraham's day, Sarah was barren. She has no children. How could she possibly have this child that God says she will have? Well, the Lord's promise does what he says. Now, later on in the New Testament, Paul will take this imagery of Sarah, who is barren, and contrast it with Hagar, Hagar, who has a son, Ishmael. If you remember, the whole struggle here with God's promise is that Abraham has no child, no heir, and Sarah remains barren. So the idea was that Abraham could have a second wife. He could take another one, which would be Hagar. And Hagar could then become the mother of the promise. But yet when Hagar bore a child, this was not the mother of the promise. This was not the promised son. This was a servant, a son of a servant. Now, Paul will take this imagery and say that there were these two sons. There was the son of promise, which, of course, is Isaac. And then there was the other son, the son of Hagar, which is Ishmael. And so Paul will say that this is two different pictures of two different people from Abraham. Those who are sons by faith, spiritual sons, they're sons of the promise of Isaac, or those who are biological sons, those who are sons of Abraham like Ishmael. Now, Paul will talk about this in Galatians chapter 4. He will say this. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, 
Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was a born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Now notice that Paul teaches us the barren woman is the church, whereas the married woman is the synagogue. Now externally, the synagogue appeared in more splendor, the synagogue being the Jews who rejected Jesus. They seemed to be more than that few, the small remnant who received Jesus. But yet there would be a multitude of children who would come from the nations, which is heavenly Jerusalem. They would become sons of Abraham by faith, faith in the promise just like Abraham had. Thus Paul says, in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.